and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my main man, Wally Lukachensky. That's right. I said your name wrong purposely. 28th episode in, you know I have to fuck with you a little bit. Wally, how have you been since the last time we recorded? I've been doing pretty good on my end. Obviously, we had the final four this last weekend with at least a good game on Saturday, not so much on Monday. But it was a it was a good weekend, all things considered. Been a little busy with the whole prepping for getting into the industry with doing the demo reel stuff 24-7, which, you know, it's not as easy as it looks, as you perfectly well understand. Otherwise, it's a great time of the year for football. As you know, we're getting close to the draft. We're still wrapping up free agency, get a straggling signee here and there, which is exciting. But for the whole, I'm excited for the, the end of the month, get out to Cleveland. Buddy of mine, hopefully he's going to be able to get me into the draft. We've been going for quite a few years now in a row, but this year's a little bit extra difficult purely because of all things considered with COVID. But hopefully we get in, keep the tradition going, and we'll go from there. How was your weekend, though? Did you get to watch any of those Final Four games? I know you did. I already know you did. But otherwise, how's everything on your end, Steven? Uh, I wish I could talk. Don't worry about it, Wally. Teamwork makes a dream work. I'll pick us up here. But my weekend was pretty good. Uh, a little Easter Sunday, went up to Cleveland, went to go see the girlfriend's parents. No casino run here, unfortunately. But yes, I did have the opportunity to watch the Final Four games. That UCLA-Gonzaga game was awesome. Very heartbreaking for those UCLA kids. And personally, I wanted them to win. Call me a bad guy. I want to see the 30-0 and team lose to an 11th seed in the Final Four. But that is not how it went down. Uh, also got this Brew Free 21st Amendment Brewery of Blood Orange. I'm going to try it out. I'm not typically a Blood Orange fan, mm. but why not? You know, that's a solid beer right there, Wally. That's a solid beer. So bunch of that this weekend. Got to hang out. Me personally, getting the vaccination shot. The Johnson & Johnson wanted done here at 345 on Thursday. So by the time you guys listen, I'll be... I'll be all chipped up from the government and hopefully fighting this corona. See, that was your first losing choice. I went with the double up with that Pfizer or whatever, but now I don't have to worry about the whole however percentage, whatever you guys, your government chip of that genre. I got the other one. I got the double dose. I got one in both arms too. I wanted chips on both sides. Figure stay balanced. Balance is the key to happiness. So that's where I was going. They're watching us already with those thousands of drones that they're labeling as birds flying through the skies. They're already spying on us. This is not going to be any different. I'm just helping them go right to the source. You're such a loser. I'm such a loser? Why yes. am I such a loser? Don't get two shots like a fucking bitch. Oh, look at me. Birds are drones. I, I've got nothing for you. They are. They sit on the power lines to charge to spy on us for days on end. It's facts. It's it's complete facts. Bird baths, no. Those are all just for their oil changes. They want you to think that they're in there bathing, tweet, tweet, tweeting away. But no, there's some satanic little robotic fucks planning our destruction and our demise. Oh, the little Nas experts. I got you. Whoa, I've heard that you actually got his Satan shoes over the weekend. Is that true? Whoa, whoa. Yeah, that ain't for me. I'm not the whole, like, let's drop a, a, a thing of blood in my shoe. I don't need that going for me. I have enough bad juju without bringing that into my life. No class. No class at all, Wally. 
before we kind of hop into the whole football fever that we have here, a little bit slower in the offseason, I get that, but I promise you we're here to keep you entertained. The Space Jam 2 trailer dropped here this past week, so obviously everyone is jumping to Instagram, everything to see, A, who is on this, who is going to be on the squad with LeBron, as well as who are going to be the opposing players, a.k.a. the other NBA stars that are going to be on that opposing team. Wally, what did you think about the overall trailer? Do you have any high expectations about this? Me personally, I thought it looked like absolute dog shit. The story looked horrible. Uh, I cannot stand LeBron James, and he is ruining an absolute classic for me. See, unlike you, as a LeBron stan, I really want to have high expectations. But one of my biggest pet peeves in general is when trailers give away the entire movie. And I felt like I already watched the movie watching the trailer. You know the plot hole, or not the plot hole, but you know the plot in general. You know the problems with the plot, how LeBron's going to have to save his not actual brawny son in this alternate reality. Yeah, what the fuck? Why is why is Brawny Jr. not in this movie? Like, as, as his kids, would you not be pissed? Like, yo, why are you paying that kid attention? What the fuck, Dad? Why am I not in this movie? Or at least his, his fat... Jameis Winston-esque looking younger kid. I say that because I don't think the dude that I don't think that younger kid has ankles. Like he just it just goes from hip to ankle straight shot. You can't see if he has a knee. It's just a straight shot. Well, as a guy that is already battling the overweight button here, I'm not going to be out here shaming kids for not being up to Stephen Weed's code of, of of looking. Sorry, he's not a future NBA star like his dad. You mean like his brother? Like his brother's going to be something? But come on, man, don't don't just be a bum. I know you're 13, but get a get a job. If LeBron James was my dad, I would probably be doing absolutely nothing. So it's hard for me to complain too much. But real quick on the trailer, yeah, I don't know. It would have been something, I guess, as a kid, I would have been excited about the whole, like, Tron-looking, I don't even know what to call it, that, like, web universe or whatever. I thought it looked pretty cool, but the actual basketball compared to what it was as a kid with the original Space Jam, I, I hope that I'm a little surprised in a good way by what it is, but... I probably won't watch it, but the first time. I know it's a kid's movie, but let's all, let's not kid ourselves. This came out for the people like you and me, the mid-20s, the mid-30s that grew up watching the original, and we've been kind of clamoring for it for a long time if it was done correctly, but now it's, I don't know, it's, it's not going to live up. Space Jam, the original, was one of my favorite sports movies growing up. It was so perfect that doing it again, it's like doing Anchorman 2. We tell ourselves this is what we want. This is a great possibility as a movie. And then you see it and you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe we should have stuck with one. And just like Anchorman 2, I'm not going to waste my time watching Space Jam 2. The only reason I would watch is because my boy Dame Dollar is in it. And maybe Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is fucking hilarious. He's the man. Yeah, but what is it going to be? Like one of the Monstars just has like a torn ACL and a torn Achilles at the same time cheering from the bench. Come on. ACLs translate, even to the webverse or whatever this is. You can't tell me he's magically ready to play. It's a Tooniverse. Anything can happen. Are you serious? It's fucking cartoons. And before we jump over to our next topic, the fact that LeBron is trying to put a super team together, he's trying to put King Kong, what, Gandalf, the Iron Giant. Who the fuck does this guy think he is? Here's my spin zone. I think it's awesome that he's willing to laugh at himself a little bit and say, hey, you know what? This is obviously happening in the NBA. People have associated me with being 
a guy that really kept this movement going with the Miami Heat move. I think it's almost funny that he's able to laugh at himself and say, yeah, you know what? I do need King Kong. I do need whatever crazy Iron Giant I think was on that list too. I think it's kind of funny that he's willing to laugh at himself. Nothing was funnier than Richard Jefferson taking a shot at LeBron saying, man, that CGI is insane. Look at his hairline in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that a lot of the actual initial public response was, it was honestly going to be better than what the movie's going to be, just like it will immediately after. The Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook, all those reactions, it's going to be must-see. I hope, again, that is better than what I'm expecting it to be, but my hopes aren't really that high. To move into a little bit more saddening news, as you guys heard over the weekend here, DMX, I don't even even need to explain. We all know who DMX is, Rough Rider. What's my name? Fortunately, DMX here suffered an overdose here over the weekend. We're now, you know, the present day here, you know, it's been a few days where he is currently in a coma um, with little to no brain activity, considered in a grave condition, which is essentially a vegetative state. So Wally, you know, DMX, you're not, you're not a big, you're not a big rap guy, but like I said, everyone knows who DMX is. He was one of those guys that just kept New York on the map in the early, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. What are your, what are some of your thoughts here? And, you know, did DMX ever, ever have any significance with you? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it. I'm not really like the music savant of the group by any means you're the guy that's like collecting all the vinyls and stuff of everything nowadays which is really cool you sh- you'll eventually have to put that on the instagram and and flood that out it's pretty sick but for, as for dmx yeah everybody knows this guy and even people like me that might not be actively searching out his music i mean i can tell you five or six songs off the top of your head just because that's who he was to us growing up to a generation growing up and I'm sure everybody's got to see too. If you haven't already this last week, it's like a fun thing to share on social media now every like year or so. But the concerts that he did like while we were growing up, I mean, it looks like there's millions of people at these things. His cultural significance is it can't go understated. And But hopefully the tide turns here and maybe things can be reversed. Crazier things have happened. All we can do is hope uh, again – it's the cliche, but you're just hoping and thinking about his family and hope and his fans. Honestly, there's a lot of people hurt. I know when Mac Miller passed away, another instance where I'm not a music guy, I am from Pittsburgh. So that was a little bit different with Mac, but these are the kind of people that even when you've never met them, you feel a little empty knowing that they're gone. It's like a piece of your childhood is gone with them. And it's just miserable, man. It's just a miserable situation. Piece of your childhood, but, you know, DMX, it just radiates and gives me nostalgia for, like, football. When I was playing football or really any sport in high school, just DMX is that's your guy you want to get hyped up to. I hate to see it. I, like you said, praying that, you know, this takes a turn for the better. You know, we've heard a lot of situations. I've, I've known one of my buddies had a brother that was put into basically a vegetative state. It was more like a gang a gang initiation where these two people just kind of spotted him out, beat the living shit out of him, put him into a vegetative state, put him into a you know medically induced coma. You know, my buddy was told he'll never be the same. The whole nine yards, you got to bathe them, take care of them, feed them. Literally two days later, popped out of it like nothing happened, and he was back to normal. So I'm hoping that this could be 
you know, the case from DMX. Condolences to the friends, family, fans. And we're hoping that we don't have to lose another one and have 2021 start off on a really shitty note. I feel like the past two years, you know, a lot of celebrity deaths, but a lot in the music industry too. Yeah, absolutely. I really don't have too much more to add. I don't feel like I'm the the one to be talking about it. But again, yeah, all good thoughts, good vibes, everything going out to him. We'll lighten the mood up here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're covering all sides of the spectrum here emotionally. Have to go with the Paul Pierce story here, Wally. Paul Pierce just gets fired from ESPN because he went on to an Instagram live here on fr- this past Friday night where it was him and all of his boys smoking either tobacco or marijuana cigars. We're not really too sure, and we don't want to speculate here on loss of down, but I'm, you know, we're gambling men. I'm putting marijuana in that 10 times out of 10. Don't care what the odds are. Regardless, Paul Pierce on this live, a lot of strippers or corporate talk, exotic dancers, same fucking thing. Strippers, buddies, the whole shebang. On Instagram Live, even one of his buddies asked, yo, where, where's Rachel Nichols at? So Paul Pierce ends up getting fired from ESPN, getting a lot of love from Barstool. I actually even heard that a adult website has put in a $250,000 one, one-show contract of an NBA show with exotic dancers in the background hosted by Paul Pierce, yours truly. So Wally, especially after talking about DMX, this was following basically right after it. How hilarious is this Paul Pierce story? I honestly was not expecting this side of Paul Pierce. Maybe should open our eyes about how how hard the NBA players party. Do you see him potentially making a comeback at you know at a bar stool or maybe one of these other sports conglomerates? I definitely think this is not the last we've seen of Paul Pierce. It is a pretty funny story. There are the things about the situation that are regrettable, like you mentioned the the person bringing up the Rachel Nichols thing. Who knows how she perceived that, and that could have not gone over well. I mean, you saw with NBC and Jeremy Roenick, hockey fans out there know him as JR. He got fired from there, that sports outlet, because he made comments in a sexual nature about both a, a co-worker and then making passing joking remarks about how his buddy Patrick Sharp, he was a man rock and he'd love to go him too. So we live in a world where you can't, you have to know where you are at all times. You have to realize that everyone's watching, everyone's listening. He should have known better than to post this while it was mostly innocent. I don't think that it will kill him, but ESPN's they it's ESPN, man. I don't know really what to say about them. They're very harsh nowadays. They want to be extremely politically correct. They don't like to push the button envelopes whatsoever. You you brought up Barstool. I, I'm sure that you've seen, and I'm sure many others have seen, the night that he was let go, Dave Portnoy, uh, the CEO of Barstool Sports, he quote tweeted Paul Pierce and basically just gave the eyeball emojis like, hey, if you're interested, we'd be happy to have you. So you know it's not just Barstool too. There's going to be plenty of people that are trying to get him back. It's just a matter of if it happens and if it happens sooner rather than later. The expansion and just the absolute blow up of Barstool and even even with an ex, a serious XM channel, I would like you said, I would not be surprised if Paul Pierce is back on the scene. You know, it's probably going to take a little bit of time, but this is definitely not the last that we have seen of Paul Pierce. Wally, we'll stop dicking around. Let's talk about let's talk about the old pigskin. The real reason people are chiming in outside of, uh, you know, we make them and they, they enjoy us just as people. 
Number one story here in the past week since the last time that we have recorded. Sam Darnold traded to the Carolina Panthers here. What was that, Monday or Tuesday? Regardless, what the Jets are getting is a sixth-round pick in 2021, second and fourth-round pick in 2022. Now, Carolina, Teddy's still on the roster. They're debating if they're going to restructure his contract because apparently they are still wanting him there for a nice quarterback competition. But at the same time, they have given Teddy Bridgewater the opportunity to pick his own trade destination if he does decide to move on. So this kind of puts a little bit of damper on what my prediction has been all offseason for Deshaun Watson ending up in Carolina. Guess I'm going to have to kind of pump the brakes on that here a little bit, Wally. What were your thoughts about the move for New York sending uh, this young quarterback to the Panthers? First of all, Deshaun Watson will be lucky to play football again with everything happening on. With I'm sure you saw Nike and Beats by Dre both halted, didn't cancel and fire his endorsement deal yet, but they halted it, which typically is a sign of things to come. Kind of forcing the NFL's hands a little bit too. I'm sure they're going to do their own investigations, but that's not what you asked. It's not what we're talking about right now. Sam Darnold going to Carolina was a little interesting because I didn't expect the team to pay that much for a quarterback like him, especially on the last year of his rookie deal. Obviously, there's the fifth-year option, assuming they do choose to bring him back. But either way, you're bringing up a lot of assets for a quarterback that you really haven't seen excel at the NFL level. Now, how much of that you want to attribute to Adam Gase and the Jets ruining Sam Darnold? That's something you have to evaluate yourself. But I would also say, if you're worried about that, how often do you see quarterbacks get ruined from three years early on in their career and not be able to respond or come back to what they had. Once you're broken, you really have to untrain your mind and relearn how to be an NFL quarterback. I don't know if that's the right situation for him. The clear winner was the Jets. I know you didn't ask me who the winner of this deal was, but the Jets being able to turn this into a two, a four, and a six for a guy that they already were willing to not play this year because they knew they were going to take Zach Wilson. This is a home run for the Jets. And honestly, if I'm in New York, finally, things are starting to trend a little bit in the right direction. And they have assets in loaded draft classes here in the next two years. This Jets team could be poised to finally be competitive here in a couple years, especially if they hit on Zach Wilson. He turns out to be what they want and expect him to be. Now, Carolina's offense last year, you know, they're basically middle of the pack, right? Total offense are about 21st, pass 18th, rush 21st. Now, you have to remember that Christian McCaffrey only played in about two and a half games, 59 touches, check that, 76 touches for 379 yards and say about six touchdowns. I'm doing quick math. Don't know if that's all accurate, but as accurate as we can get for the present moment. So adding Christian McCaffrey in there, he is already he already has some chemistry with Robbie Anderson, Carolina's newly acquired wide receiver from last offseason from the New York Jets, and they have a lot of young talent on that defense. What people don't really seem to know is since 2018, since Sam Darnold was drafted by the New York Jets, every game that Sam Darnold has not started since that point, the Jets have lost. They have only won with Sam Darnold at the helm. They sure as hell have lost a lot with Sam Darnold at the helm. By the same time, Wally, I kind of want to throw this back into your face. We can't say that Sam Darnold is broken, not being able, not being capable enough to be a good quarterback. It's the Baker Mayfield effect. Now he's going into his fourth year. 
with his fourth different offensive coordinator. And if actually check that, it might be his third different offensive coordinator. But prior to that, it was Adam Gase running the ship right into the iceberg like he was driving the Titanic himself. So I personally have a lot of high hope for Sam Darnold joining Carolina. This team had about seven to eight one-possession losses last year where maybe they were a Sam Darnold quarterback-esque away from winning. Or maybe they were a Sam Darnold quarterback-esque away from losing that game by two possessions because the dude has thrown 39 interceptions in his 38 games played overall. That is something that they will have to button up, especially in that very, very tough division in the NFC South. I'll go on record to just come out and say that I expect it not to work out in Carolina. I've got the feeling, not saying the injury history-wise, but saying the overall impact level. I feel like you're getting a Sam Bradford kind of a feel with this, where everybody keeps buying low, thinking they're going to be the ones to fix this guy. They're going to be the ones to fix this top, at that time, rookie quarterback. And now... Each destination, he becomes a little less valuable, but people still drink the Kool-Aid. They talk themselves into it. I just don't believe it. I I know that I'm being a little bit of a Debbie Downer from a Sam Bradford perspective, but they, talk about a, a comeback down to earth. A month ago, you had people like you and Panther fans alike hoping and praying that they got Deshaun Watson. And to go from Deshaun Watson, that possibility, to have a guy who's turning into a retread now, I know it's only our second destination, but you have a guy now that you have to basically recoddle, relearn. He's basically a rookie quarterback all over again. If I'm Carolina, they're at eight. It wouldn't have been insurmountable to conceive a way for them to move up and take a guy in the top four, even if you move into that fifth position, potentially getting a quarterback there as well, because I do think the Bengals would at least entertain moving back to only eight with Suell, with Chase with Pitts with all these guys and all those offensive linemen that they're entertaining too. I think that they could have gotten better value. So for me, I'm just not very, I'm not very happy about the situation. If I am a Panthers fan, best buddy from back home. Shout out Dylan Watts. What's up, buddy? Huge Carolina fan. You know, we went back and not even back and forth, but we definitely gave each other the two cents. And at the end of the day, everyone's wanting Teddy Bridgewater out. You know, that was one of the biggest contracts, the biggest question marks going into the offseason. At this point, at least, you, you know, in the foreseeable future, Teddy's going to be traded or be gone. You're getting a quarterback for cheap, which potentially could open up a little bit more cap space. Maybe you can bring in a veteran, you know, a veteran presence on your defensive side of the ball for the locker room and good. Like, I don't know, a Melvin Gordon, a Justin Houston. Maybe bring in a Casey Hayward or a Richard Sherman for your secondary that's growing. Very young, but growing. I can agree with you that we that you don't think that this is the right move and Sam Darnold will not do well. I disagree. I think that we are on opposite sides of the spectrum with that, which makes it which makes it for good chemistry and a little bit of a side bet here. But you cannot deny that he has more talent around him in Carolina than New York. So why would that not correlate for him to being a little bit more successful? Yeah, no, you're right. There is a little bit more talent there, but you're also talking about a place that just lost Curtis Samuel that is also super heavily dependent on Christian McCaffrey, whether that be through the run or the pass. He's not going to be able to be that downfield gunslinger as much when you're expected to dump the ball down six to ten times a game just to your backs. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a good fit to me. 
maybe he goes out and proves me wrong and proves you right. But especially in that division next year, Tampa's going to be there still. I know that New Orleans still in cap situation. They've lost many key pieces. But possibly improving at quarterback, as crazy as that is to say, moving on from Drew Brees, I still think that they're the third, maybe fourth best team in that division with Sam Darnold going in. And even if he improves, how long is the leash going to be? How long are they going to be willing to do the Sam Darnold experience? If this is a team that come April next year, or I guess whatever, before the league year, before they have to figure out about the fifth uh, fifth year option, are they going to be like, hey, you know what, screw it. We're going to run it back again. Or maybe then are they going to be, hey, you know, this was a good idea at the time. It didn't really work out. Let's just go get our guy in the draft. Or Sam Darnold has a great offseason. Carolina somehow, you know, say they're four and four by the by the trade deadline. Deshaun Watson still trying to get out, hasn't played a game. Yes, I can see into the future. This is exactly what is going to happen. Deshaun Watson's not going to be able to play a game. They get Darnold looking a little bit sexier than, you know, what we were thinking at this point of the year. Maybe he's on pace for, you know, comeback player of the year, something of that caliber. Now he's good trade bait. Nonetheless, I think this is going to be better determined, at least our side bet, once we have the schedules released, then we can start really chirping at each other here. If you saw Sam Darnold move at the trade deadline next year, especially if they are 4-4, four and four, I mean, that's baseball level of rental flipping at the trade deadline. You don't really see those massive deals in football like you will in hockey, baseball, even basketball to a sense. And even those can be underwhelming at times. But it feels like every year we have the NFL trade deadline special on NFL Network and ESPN. And we sit around and we're all excited, right? Because this year's the year it's different that someone's going to get moved. It's going to be a big deal. And then the biggest move ends up being something like this year, like Carlos Dunlap to Seattle for like a six-round pick. Fun fact before we segue on to our next segment, every quarterback drafted in the top five from 2015 and 2018, Javis Winston not re-signed, Jared Goff traded, Marcus Mariota not re-signed, Sam Darnold traded, Trubisky not re-signed, Carson Wentz traded, Baker Mayfield still with the Browns. We're going to keep it in this division. The Atlanta Falcons per Adam Schefter here, so you know it's a good one, are very open to trading their number four spot here in the draft. Apparently, they've been receiving a bunch of calls, but trading out of the number four, A, it feels like Atlanta does this very often. They like trading out of a very good position when they need a stud blank. They always need a stud blank going into the season. Then they decide to trade out and not get a stud and end up bombing on their pick in the first round. Wally, do you see Atlanta deciding to trade out of this four spot, especially after the Darnold trade, where you're assuming that they're going to pick Zach Wilson second, rumblings of Justin Fields to the Niners at third? Why would you not want to sit there and potentially pick a talent like a Kyle Pitts to go on your offense or a Suell to bolster your offensive line? I think ultimately this is a very – I mean, it's not that uncommon. If you ignore the logo – we're just talking about the position of the draft. I think it's not uncommon at all that you're going to see teams that know, especially with a quarterback being on the board there, because there will be either the Mac Jones, there will be the Justin Fields, there will be obviously Kyle Trask because he's falling, there will be Trey Lance. Two of those guys will be there at four. So for me, this is a great opportunity if I'm Atlanta 
to just basically throw out the, hey, you know what, we're thinking about moving out. We are not sold on a quarterback just because they know there are the teams out there like New England, like Carolina. There's plenty of teams that are willing to move up. Hell, I mean, you could even feasibly think of a Pittsburgh team moving up if they're in love with the guy and they start falling. I don't think necessarily that this is a Falcons team that wants to move, but more or less put the flyer out in case they're completely wowed and blown away by a trade offer that they can then take it to then move down and get someone like a Pitts or something. Like that's where the Carolina, that's, I'm still hung up on the Sam Darnold thing. Teams would have been very comfortable moving down from a three, a four, a five to an eight because you're still going to have a, an offensive weapon out there, whether that be uh, Jamar Chase, whether that be Kyle Pitts, whether it be Sewell. There's plenty of these guys that are going to fall. There's simply too many talented players than draft picks that if they were able to move down in a position like that, they'd be very comfortable. For me, it's not all that surprising right now. If we get closer to the draft and the talks are still going, maybe I'll start buying into it a little bit more. But for right now, I think this is just a very smart move from a GM down there that's trying to rebuild things. No, they have Matt Ryan right now that if worse comes to worse, they can move down and get assets instead and reassess the quarterback position maybe next year, maybe the following year. Now, some of the teams that did stick out to me, I don't have any specific teams in general that had reached out to Atlanta. They've been receiving a lot of calls. I don't have any specific teams right here. Denver, New England, Washington, Chicago. I feel like are really the main people that are still looking for quarterback, let alone, you know, New England obviously has Cam Newton on a one-year 14-mil deal. They have to they have to think long-term. Denver, they don't know. Washington definitely do not have a long-term answer. Short-term is filled. And Chicago, Andy Dalton, they need short-term and long-term. Out of the four teams I just listed here, Wally, say you're the GM. Which one of them are making the move to get to that four spot and potentially pick a quarterback? Of those teams you listed, the one that makes the most sense to me and scary as it may be, imagine New England moving up to four. Imagine Justin Fields somehow does fall and the 49ers do take Mac Jones there at three. I could definitely see a team like Bill Belichick in the New England Patriots moving up and getting Justin Fields and basically saying, hey, we think that you're going to be the quarterback of the future. Clearly, you're taking him top five. But we have a guy in Cam Newton. Yeah, his his skill has kind of diminished over the last few years. But maybe with a healthy shoulder, he can play behind him for a year. And if worse comes to worse, you get to the bye week or you get to like week six or seven. And this New England team is three and four, three and three, something like that. Maybe you think about making the switch then after a couple months in season. New England is a home run for me to move up in this draft, especially if one of these marquee quarterbacks do start falling. It just, I know that they aren't the team that typically moves up unless it's for like an obscure player that we've never heard of. Then everybody makes a jokes. Oh, the Patriots found him. So he's going to be the greatest ever. When in reality, they really haven't been hitting on a lot of those moves once they move up. But Bill Belichick with a guy like Justin Fields, with a guy like Trey Lance, with a guy even like Mac Jones, I could see them becoming an immediate threat once again to the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. The other teams you mentioned, the only other one that I was thinking is maybe if you're Washington, you move up, you get your quarterback of the future, kind of like last year in Miami, you let them sit behind Fitzpatrick for a year, not the six weeks that Brian Flores did down there. And instead, you just basically say, this year, we're playing with a little bit of house money. We know we're not legitimate Super Bowl threats, 
but we are a threat in the NFC East. You get to develop that defense a little bit more. That offense, a lot of playmakers. Fitzpatrick has proven to be capable. And if, God forbid, there is an injury, one of those guys that they do move up and get, he could step in and potentially not only right the ship, but who knows, maybe even excel and be better than Fitzpatrick in the year one. Out of the teams I listed, I think Denver could get the cheapest price for it because they are at number nine. You know, they're only moving back five spots. And, I, you know, if Atlanta's got their eye on someone, they're going to at least expect them to be in the top ten, should be able to snag them at nine. But, you know, you have New England at 15, got the Washington football team at 19, and then you got Chicago Bears at 20. So for the value, why would you not take the call from the Denver Broncos the most serious? You know how anal John Elway is about trying to get his quarterback because he gets a new quarterback every fucking year. Since since Peyton Manning, which took him a while to get Peyton Manning, that's like the one beaming spot in, in John Elway being the GM. The Broncos are dog shit. If it wasn't for Peyton Manning, this dude would have been fired four years ago. Makes the most sense for Denver to trade up. Might as well. Doesn't really seem that Drew Locke is that answer. Granted, a lot of injuries last year that kept him out for a little bit more than half the season. Third-year leap, going to be hopeful because I was very high on Drew Locke in the beginning of this podcast. Not this specific episode, but in general. And now I'm kind of fanning back here a little bit. Personally, I, I hope that Atlanta does not trade up because, A, I don't want Chicago to benefit from it. And B, Atlanta needs to address some shit, and you can get some studs at the four spot, specifically Panay Suel. Channeling my own inner Michael Clark Duncan here, but don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I don't want to see Denver on top of L.A. getting Justin Herbert and Kansas City having Patrick Mahomes. I'm not prepared to have another stud quarterback in the division. So, no, I disagree purely on principle alone. We're going to go with any of the other three teams you said. Or you're just going to be okay with the with the Suell pick. This man looked ungodly at his pro day. 30 reps at 225, a 28-inch vert, which doesn't really seem that crazy. But when you're 6'4", 300-plus pounds, it's fucking impressive. 40, just, just literally, just slightly below a 5'1". To put that in perspective... I'm about 6'2". In high school, when I was playing ball, I was I was at 300, and I ran a 5'140". So this dude is taller and bigger than me and running faster. That's fucking insane. 7.8 seconds on a three-cone drill for a lineman. His size is insane. Anything, really anything below nine in this lineman three-cone drill is fucking orgasmic. How would you not want to pick them if you're the Falcons, they've had what it seems like the worst O-line luck. What what Washington football team has done to their D-line is put five first-round picks into it, and they're awesome. What Atlanta's done is put in a lot of first- and second-round picks for the linemen, and zero of them have panned out. Their best one, Alex Mack, the center that they stole out of free agency from the Cleveland Browns. So how the hell would you not want to get Sewell and trade out of this? It's one of those situations, again, we talk about it the last few weeks with the draft. It's like this time of year, all we try to do is assassinate prospects for no reason. The fact that, I mean, this is a guy in a normal draft. He's considered a number one pick. This is If this happened five years ago, he's the number one overall guy. But now, because he sat out a year and because this is what we do in the month of April, we tear down everybody on earth for whatever reason. 
he's the best tackle on the board. This is the same guy that was being lauded as a generational tackle talent going into this draft period. And now all of a sudden he's falling on people's boards because, oh, you know, maybe maybe his arms aren't big enough. Stuff like that. It's the dumbest thing. At some point, watch the freaking tape. It's the Oklahoma Orlando Brown stuff all over again, where although he had a terrible pro day and a terrible combine, which is different than Sewell because he literally lit up his pro day. He was everything everybody was talking about the other day. But he's a guy that because of certain intangibles, they started, you know, I'm not really sure about this guy. And then you know what, you forget that you watch this guy play football for three years in college. He falls down draft boards and then comes back. He finally gets drafted in in the right fit by a team that's smart enough to trust their eyeballs, trust the tape on these guys. And what's he do? He goes out, he's one of the best right tackles on the league. To me, it's this simple. I'm at the point now where I've completely given up on the Bengals getting Kyle Pitts idea. I think he's locked in there at five. I can't imagine him taking someone besides now Jamar Chase, but that would also be leaving the door open for the Bengals not drafting another tackle till the second round, and I don't know if a lot of Bengals fans would want that. So as of this moment right now, I'd be shocked if that on draft night we're not talking about Panay Sewell being a Cincinnati Bengal. Well, I personally want to thank you for letting me say Sewell about two or three times when now you just want to come in with the accurate pronunciation, but that's where the doctrine in English is really coming into play. So I appreciate you. I told you last week, I don't know how to say it. They said it on the NFL mock draft when I was watching at ESPN and Kuiper was calling him Sewell instead of Sewell. I've been calling him Sewell for three years. Well, I can't be held responsible. I didn't do, why are you yelling at me? It's oh your fault. God. All right, well, we're just going to fucking move on before you get any more. Oh, this is a horrible segment to move on to because now you're just going to be attacking me. Aaron Rodgers, still up in the air about his future, even though he's locked in for the next three years. Aaron Rodgers, still uncertain about what is going to be going on at Green Bay in the future. Still under contract cut through the 2023 season. Now, Green Bay has the opportunity of releasing him after the 2022 campaign. That would save about $25.5 million in cap space while just incurring just slightly under $3 million in dead money. Aaron Rodgers went on to say, this is not the exact quote, basically a summary. My play last year may have thrown a wrench into some timelines. I'm, I'm going to open up to you before I kind of lay into this situation. We've, we've talked about it right after the NFC Championship loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when he was making the comments, saying he's not really too sure about his future as well as some of his other teammates. And now he's making these comments. Green Bay's front office still seems very silent without coming to the beckoning call of Aaron Rodgers and just nipping this in the bud. They're just kind of letting this ride. I want to open up to you about your thoughts. Yeah, so first of all, I think I would have to start by just saying when I was living in Wisconsin in high school, it was during that immediate aftermath of Brett Favre leaving Green Bay and going to New York. And at that time, people weren't – I mean, they were excited about Aaron Rodgers. Don't get me wrong. But it was also that, you know, this is the best quarterback in our franchise's history, and you let him walk out the door not on great terms. And I felt like it rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way. And ultimately, they went back to the – the Packers side when Brett Favre went to Minneapolis the following year because, I mean, I would do the same thing. I mean, he goes to a division rival. He's dead to me until he retires kind of a thing. But I really would be surprised if this organization is willing to make that same gamble. The following iconic quarterback in this franchise, 
You can't let him leave if he wants to stay. It's the what's going on in Pittsburgh with Big Ben right now. It can be miserable all you want. And here's the thing. He's not miserable. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I'm just saying if it gets to that point, you be miserable and you live with it. And it's just simply we let him play out on his own terms and we're going to just have to swallow the bullet in the meantime. I don't think he's going anywhere. The only thing I can think of, and this is like a one in a hundred shot, right? Is you've seen all the news lately with Aaron Rodgers in jeopardy. He wants to be the show, even with football. He's like, screw it. That's a lot of show. That's a lot of recording time. Why not, you know, be somewhere closer to the area where filming is, whether that be Las Vegas or LA. I don't know. Uh, These are just me thinking out loud. Those were the first random cities I thought of. No affiliation or thought really went into that. But yeah, so I could see a very isolated opportunity for him to want out and they adhere to it. But as of right, I I wouldn't, no, no. If I'm a Packers fan, if I'm in the Packers organization, this is a no-brainer. It's got to be annoying when you see it in the news cycle where it's like, this guy's not going anywhere. We're going to have Aaron Rodgers in green and gold until he retires. So I'm not buying it. If it happens, cool, we'll reassess then. I'll look like an idiot. I've done that many times. That's no problem for me. But right now, I don't think I think we're talking about five to ten percent chance he's in another uniform in the next couple of years. The lack of voice from the front office is not making me confident. Just fucking pay Aaron Rodgers. All you've done is just essentially just been fucking his career. You won't give him any weapons, you won't give him a defense, you expect him the highest, and all he's doing is performing at the highest level. All the talk last year, drafting Jordan Love, what the hell are we doing with A.J. Dillon? Just essentially completely wasting our first two picks where we could have actually picked a player. Sorry, where Green Bay could have actually picked a player that they could have plugged and play and they could have made a difference right off the bat. Instead, they were riding the bench for most of the year. It's just blasphemy for me. Like you were saying, we've seen it happen to Brett Favre. Obviously not the same pieces in the front office when that was happening. Nonetheless, that memory has still have to be burned inside of your brain. As well as we're currently living in the Tom Brady revenge tour era right now. He just went to another team, won a Super Bowl because that team was willing to listen to him front office wise, get the players around him to make him the most successful. It gave him an O-line. It gave him endless amount of weapons. A filthy, filthy defense. And an absolutely loaded backfield. Shady McCoy didn't even play, and he still has a little bit of gas in the tank. We just don't know because he just sits on the pine and collects Super Bowl rings now. Green Bay needs to address the Aaron Rodgers problem. Restructure his deal at the same time while extending him. And focus on the fucking defensive side of the ball and just get a singular addition to his arsenal of weapons that he can throw to. That's all I'm asking for. You know, we don't even need that. Green Bay doesn't even need that because they have Devin Funches coming back. And that's good enough. We got a big receiver, big vertical receiver. We got Robert Tony, Mercedes Lewis coming back. Devontae Adams, best receiver in the league. You can't tell me different. He is the best receiver in the league until the new year starts. Get Aaron under contract. Get the thumb out of your ass as as well as the head out of your ass and just sign this man. I would I just can't believe it. No. I cannot fathom a world where they do this again. Back to back Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and truthfully, your best two quarterbacks in 
your franchise history. Bart Starr, it was a different time. It doesn't. I feel like it's a different era. It doesn't really feel the same. But these two are by far the best two most talented quarterbacks. And if you let them both go on unfriendly terms with the franchise, you're going to have a lot of cheeseheads, a lot of Wisconsinites, legitimately pissed off with this organization more than they already were. You hear it from you all throughout the season, all throughout the offseason. You're not the only person that says it. If a lot of these people that are listening, at least uh, through me, are the people that are the Browns fans, the Steelers fans, the Bengal fans, all that area, this is the same way Packer fans feel throughout the fan base. This is a front office, whether they're different pieces or not, that has really squandered the last 30 years, or 25 at the least, and only getting two Super Bowls between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, it, it, that feels wrong. It feels gross. I I would be pissed off too. I just, again, I don't believe it. I know they've been quiet right now, but I, I'm sure there has to be a reason, right? I just can't believe that they're just going to cut Aaron Rodgers, not even get something for him. They will get something for him. At bare minimum. But I said it once, I'll say it again. Look yourselves in the mirrors for an office of Green Bay. Say, yeah, you know what? We fucked up. And you know what? Aaron did throw a wrench in our plans. But fuck. I know for a fact that we can't trust Jordan Love right now. And I know for a fact that if we keep supplying Aaron Rodgers, his tools to be successful, why can he not play for another seven to eight years, which would put him at 45, 46, potentially 47, which sounds ridiculous now, but we'll talk here in a couple of years once we see Tom Brady still playing. See, I don't know if like I don't think we're gonna be seeing this new wave of Tom Brady and George Blanded. You just hit your funny bone, that's great. Anyways, I don't think you're gonna be seeing this same era of quarterbacks that we saw back in the old school days with the whole Miller lights and smoking darts on the sideline. It's not the same game. These guys are faster. These guys are more physical. It's easier to get hurt. Tom Brady's an anomaly. I would be more looking, if I'm a Packers fan, if I am Aaron Rodgers, Packers front office, anybody associated with the situation, where at best case scenario, we're looking at four or five years of quality Aaron Rodgers left. Who knows? He might prove me wrong and be just like Tom Brady, secretly on the TB12 method, doesn't age, whatever. I just I think that you prepare for three or four years and then at that point, that's when you might have to have that awkward conversation if he's starting to decline but still wants to play football. But I don't think it'll get to that point. I don't feel like he's like Brady where he would play until he's dead. Aaron Rodgers comes off to someone that loves a lot of things outside of football and would be more than happy to go be successful elsewhere. And I don't think he's going to hold on like Drew Brees, like Peyton Manning to where the wheels fall off. I think he's going to call it on his own terms. But kind of to your point, we're Green Bay the last 25, 30 years. They've only been to three Super Bowls, won two of them. How would that not be weighing in his mind where he's, he felt like he's easily has lost the opportunity to go to at least three to four Super Bowls, maybe put one or two, maximum three to four in his pocket ring-wise. How would that not want to continually drive you? New coach, offense seems to be just booming on all cylinders, best offense in the league last year. How could you not want to continuously come back and just keep going for that championship and keep you driving? Now, obviously, Jeopardy is going to be his back and call, but they only filmed 46 days out of the year, Wally. He was with Green Bay for 187 of those combined with off-season workouts, the season playoffs, etc. He still has some room to play to be the Jeopardy host, maybe a little 2-1 and one 
a rich man's Brandon Marshall who's still playing in the league. Counterpoint to that, though, is that if he is fixated on rings, if that is his key driving point at this stage of his career, would it not be easier to just pull the Tom Brady back there and go ring chase in his own right, go pick a situation where maybe it feels like they're a quarterback away and go from there. See, sorry, I'm a little distracted right now. It looks like Steven's about to get killed at his office right now. He keeps looking at the, the door. So if you do die, I will do my best to carry on the podcast as best I can. That's cool. Just the janitor. I don't know if he speaks English or can hear me, so I'm very nervous about being loud in the case that he, you know, is a cold-blooded killer. Well, good news for us. We're about done with the show today. And that is going to wrap us up today on another episode of... Okay, he's gone. So that's going to wrap us up here today on another episode of Loss of Down. I am Stephen Weed. Always joining me, Wally Lukashensky. Got it right here, Dion, the episode. And uh, good old Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wally, any parting words for our beloved fans here? Go enjoy the Masters this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's one of the best times of the year. You go from March Madness to immediately follow that up with the Masters. And then right after the Masters, we've got that draft stuff for two weeks that we're going to get fired up about. It's a great time for sports. Oh, also the the Pirates are back. Not a big deal. They did score the final four runs today. Forget about the 11 runs that were scored previous to that point. Pirates, future World Series champions. It's not a big deal. Well, fuck the Pirates. This is a football podcast. I don't really care about the other teams I'm rooting for. As always, follow us on all of our social media platforms. Facebook and Instagram at Loss of Down. Twitter, down underscore loss. And we might be cooking up a YouTube channel here shortly. Show some face. Match a face to our ugly voices. I'm glad that you brought up our voices too, just because if it has been a little suboptimal from an audio perspective, we're doing our best. We're obviously still learning here too, but we're using free software and it looks like we're about to kick it up maybe this next week possibly go a little pay to play and if that's the case he mentioned that we will have those videos out there whether that's going to be dropping through youtube instagram facebook twitter keep your eye on that hopefully here in about a week's time we'll be able to take the next step and as soon as audio sounds better we're going to the moon folks 2021 summer, the season of us blowing up. And until next time, we are Loss of Down, Wally Lukashensky and Stephen Weed here. We will catch you here next week. Give me something fun to say. You're a pussy. That, that's, uh, that was mean-spirited.